Amen. Let me, let me start with something that might illustrate where I'm going that I, I hope will be helpful. Um, now, this is the, the difference between, I want to think about the difference between healthy masculinity. By the way, there was a lady at the nine o'clock that laughed just at me saying that, and I thought, hey, <laughs> you know, healthy masculinity and toxic masculinity. I realize this sounds odd, but stay with me, okay? Healthy masculinity can have positive results, right? Men are encouraged to be good fathers and work hard. Toxic masculinity, with toxic masculinity, men are encouraged to be violent and taught to bury their emotions. You know, real men don't cry sort of thing, resulting in all sorts of issues when played out over time. Now, the, the difference between healthy masculinity and toxic masculinity can be hard to define, but the results are significant, right? Today with our passage, it takes us into the difference between healthy spirituality and what I'm going to call toxic spirituality that we see with the Pharisees, right? Like healthy spirituality helps a person connect with God. Like Jesus is our example of healthy spirituality. Toxic spirituality keeps everyone away from God, including those who promote it. This is what we see with the Pharisees. Again, the differences can be hard to define, but the results are significant, which is why Jesus gets so worked up here. And we often oversimplify what Jesus is talking about here, by the way. Now, please don't think that this, what I'm calling toxic spirituality, was just a problem for the Pharisees 2,000 years ago. The power dynamics and flawed humanity, flawed human traits that drove what we read in our passage are still with us today. And so there are challenges here that we all need to hold on to. And we have a problem when we read a text like this in that we're, if you've been in church for any amount of time really, we villainize the Pharisees. Like if you've been in church, you know Pharisees, bad, right? They were, however, very well respected in Jesus' day. And I expect that people became Pharisees out of a love for God. Like that they really, she's so cute. Anyways, that they really loved God in that, and that's why they became Pharisees. So for example, today, every now and then, you'll meet a Church of England vicar that you think, I don't know if they went into it for the right reasons, right? You know, um, every now and then you'll meet that. But for the most part, I think they've gone into it for the right reasons. Like, like um, at, um, you know, Every now and then, I'll meet someone who's, who's become a, I feel like they've become a vicar just because they want to wear fancy robes. And typically, they were trained at Cuddiston. Anyways, you know, like, um, the, um, but for the most part, that's rare, all right? See, what we see here is that Pharisees were part of a broken system that affected them and everybody around them. A system in which that, that set the bar so high for relating to God that they couldn't meet it and no one else dared try. Now let me bring this to us for a moment. I want our church to be one where people love God's word. Like where the spiritual temperature is high. Where people pray every day, fast and pray for others. Where people put their faith into action. Loving people deeply and sacrificially where people are spirit-led, hearing the whisper of the Spirit and responding with sensitivity and obedience, where people are holy as they engage their will in how they live for God, 
where people live in constant conversation with God, appreciating everything he's made. I want the spiritual temperature here to be high, where people can run in their faith without discouraging people that are learning to walk. And see, the deeper we go, the more we must be on guard against what Jesus calls the yeast of the Pharisees, or what I'm calling toxic spirituality here. It's important for our own faith, and it's important for the faith of everyone around us. And so as we look at this passage, I want to challenge you this morning, and always really, to be someone that has a humble, teachable, repentant heart before God. So let's get into this passage. As I say, I want to pull out some things, some features of toxic spirituality that we see here. And I encourage you to challenge your own heart with these. And the first thing I want to say is that toxic spirituality focuses, and I'm putting sort of two points together here, but you'll see, but that's what Jesus does as well. Toxic spirituality focuses on the easily measurable with the wrong priorities. Again, two points. Toxic spirituality focuses on the easily measurable. Toxic spirituality focuses on the wrong priorities. In the, the situation here is that Jesus is invited to a meal. But Jesus is about to cause some trouble. And, and he didn't wash his hands. Oh, shock, right? You know what I mean? This is like um, when Joe and I watch movies. This is the moment when I go, oh, snap. Um, the, um, you know, Jesus doesn't wash his hands. Now, this isn't like not using the knife properly at a, at a fancy dinner, okay? Um, this is much more significant to them. This is religiously important to them. And I I wonder if the awkwardness was hanging in the room, if everybody was aware of it. Because it actually says that this Pharisee was surprised. And Luke doesn't tell us how he knows that. Was it on his face? Was it, you know. And into that tension, Jesus says that outside, they're nice and clean. But inside, they're full of greed and wickedness. So what you see here first is that they focused on the easily measurable. The Pharisees had mined the Old Testament for every law they could. They had 613 laws. Their focus became on the easily measurable. Fasting, tithing, public acts of prayer. For us, we could come up with a list, right? Easily measurable. Scripture reading, church attendance. Easily measured things. But these things are meant to be a means to an end, not an end in themselves. It's, these things are about meeting with God. I was um, reading a book recently by Brennan Manning. And I want to share a quote with you that I don't agree with completely. But I, I do, but I don't. You'll, you'll see, okay? And here's, here's what he says. This is from his book, The Furious Longing of God. And he says this. I've decided that if I had, to li- had my life to live over again, I would not only climb more mountains, swim more rivers, and watch more sunsets. I wouldn't only jettison my hot water bottle, raincoat, umbrella, parachute, and raft. I would not only go barefoot earlier in the spring and stay out later in the fall. Here's the, here's the key punchline to what he's saying right here. But I would devote not one more minute to monitoring my spiritual growth no not one. Okay. I both agree and disagree with that little, that, what he's saying right there. 
Because there's, there's a place for discipline in the Christian life. And discipline is important. And I feel like what's happened is he's gone too far, right? But I think the heart of what he's saying is right. And that's that in context, he's talking about how our response to God needs to be out of love and relationship. And what he's touching on is similar to what Jesus is saying is here in that he's criticizing them for focusing on the easily measurable in how they relate to God. Now, again, there's still a place for discipline in the Christian life, but we need to make sure that discipline in the Christian life is always connected to a heart relationship. You see, this is about our motivation. If our motivation is to be a spiritual athlete, then we like the easily measurable. Instead, our goal should be to love God and meet with God and know God. So they focused on the easily measurable and they had the wrong priorities. Jesus says they were full of greed. And he goes on to say later that they neglect justice and the love of God. Um, I wonder, you, it's possible you've heard this illustration before. It's, it's a good one. Um, this, was, this is from Tony Campolo. I met him once. I've heard him tell this firsthand. And I think he's probably told this story loads of times, right? But it comes from a situation where he was, I think he was at Wheaton College over in the States, massive Christian university, thousands of students. Monday to Friday, they would have to be in chapel every morning, okay? And so as what happens, and I've been in these sort of situations where, you know, Everybody's there because they love God, but everybody's like comes tired and bored and there becomes a culture of like disengagement, right? And so Tony Campolo's preaching and he's preaching with passion and people are disconnected. And so in the middle of this, he's, he's saying something like this, 30,000 people died last night and there's no connection. So finally, he goes, 30,000 people died last night, and you don't give a word beginning with an S, okay? Right? And all of a sudden, people wake up. <laughs> Did he just say, right? Like, you could see people trying to figure out, what, are they supposed to do something? What's going on here? This, is, this isn't right. And, and then he goes on to say, in that moment, in that tense moment, he says, what's worse is that you're upset with the fact that I just said, word, begin, word beginning with an S, <laughs> You're more upset with that I just said that than the fact that 30,000 people died last night. You see, toxic spirituality, not only it has the wrong priorities, right? Not only does it focus on the easily measurable, but it has the wrong priorities. Another thing I want you to see about toxic spirituality is that it's about being seen by others. In verse 43, we see this and in other places. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves. So the, the Pharisees had loads of things that they did to look spiritual. They wore their phylacteries. These were prayer boxes, one on the left arm, one on the forehead. They wore their tassels. They had the most important seats in the synagogue. The idea there was at the, at the Jerusalem end. 
they would have some seats that would essentially face, essentially at the front of church, they would have some seats that faced the congregation. We also see in Matthew 6 that they did giving and praying and fasting, all to be seen in special dramatic ways to be seen by others. Their selfish, false faith in that way was toxic. And the way Jesus describes this, this is a profound illustration. He says they were like unmarked graves. See, the illustration here is that in, in that time, what they would do is they would whitewash gravestones so that people knew where they were. Because in Jewish religion, if you walked over a grave, you would be unclean. But Jesus says they are like unmarked graves. Well, of course, you don't know if you've walked over an unmarked grave. It's, it's sort of profound. It's almost like saying to them, you're a curse on people and you don't even know it. Right? I don't know how to put that into words. See what I mean? Like, you've got this negative impact on others. You don't even realize it. They don't realize it. And this public, competitive faith that they have, again, is toxic. It bars people from faith because they think they aren't good enough. It causes others to live religious lives that are only for show. And so everyone is divided then into two groups, Pharisee or non-Pharisee. And both aren't actually drawing near to God. And see, we need to guard. There's a temptation here that still lives with us that, that is natural. A temptation to be doing things to be seen by others and not purely for God. We need to guard against this temptation to do the right things with the wrong motivation. Uh, check this out. A guy named um, Dom Helder Camara. Um, he was a Catholic archbishop in Brazil. And he was, he was somewhat radical in that there was lots of things he did to kind of upset things, right? So, for example, he refused uh, to live in the Episcopal Palace. Once when there was a packed meeting at the palace, um, he persuaded a peasant to come and take the last remaining seat. The last re remaining seat was the Episcopal throne, right? Like they, you know, with his job, there was this ornate, expensive cross that he was supposed to wear, which he sold so that he could give the money to the poor. And instead, he wore this simple wooden cross. At Vatican II, the reporters found this fascinating. And so they, well, obviously they wanted to catch a picture of his wooden cross alongside other people with their ornate crosses. And so he noticed that they were doing this. So whenever, they would, whenever there was a time for a picture, what he would do is he would just simply cross his arms like this so that they couldn't see the cross, right? And finally, a bunch of reporters cornered him on this, a bunch of international reporters, and they said, it seems, Dom Helder, that you're ashamed of your wooden cross, See what they did there, right? And he replied by saying this. Not at all, my brothers, but I'm afraid of becoming proud of my humility. I think that was genuine. I'm afraid of becoming proud of my humility. See, we must guard our hearts so that our spirituality is about God and not about us. The final thing I want you to see here is that toxic spirituality, which is what I'm calling toxic spirituality, what we see with the Pharisees, is deceitful. And, and my challenge to you is repent 
when it creeps in. You see, they think they're on the side of the prophets. Jesus says emphatically that they're not. Jesus clearly says that what they think about themselves is wrong. They are, they're deceived. And the saddest bit is how this passage ends. Because Jesus rebukes them, and their response is not to repent. Instead, what we find at the end is it says, they began to oppose him fiercely, to besiege him with many questions, waiting to catch, wanting to catch him in something he might say. Their response was to try and detroy, destroy Jesus. By the way, I think often God can challenge us with things. And sometimes our response can be to harden our hearts, to hold God at a distance. But Jesus is looking for our hearts to be teachable, humble, repentant. God welcomes the humble. God welcomes the unworthy, the sinner. God welcomes the weak. But we don't want to be humble, unworthy, or weak. We are all beggars before God. The only difference for us is we, found, we, we know where to find bread. We're all beggars before God. And so I wonder, what strategies do you have in trying to say, God, I'm okay? By the way, I think God wants you to know that you're loved. God wants you to know that you're near him. God wants you to draw close. Our heart's temptation is to keep God at a distance and have easily measurable things we can point to to say, God's at a distance, but I'm okay. Do you get, do you get what we do there? And the Pharisees had turned it into a system. And the temptation is there for us as well. And instead, the challenge is for us to be humble, to let ourselves be unworthy, to acknowledge that we are unworthy, that we are weak, and to come before God. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us with this. Our hearts don't like to need to be reliant. Father, I pray for, for us that we would have a deep spirituality, a deep relationship, and that you would help us to avoid the trap, the yeast of the Pharisees. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.